Hello and welcome to After Hours with Astrid and Miu. Today we're speaking to Angel Aratura about Black Lives Matter and social injustice. This one was recorded via Zoom, so please bear with us with the sound. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. You're doing (laughs) some amazing stuff, so I'm ready to learn, ready to listen. So Angel, can you give us a little bit of an intro about what you've been kind of working on the last few months? A few different things actually, but I would I would mainly say that I would be an anti-racism educator, a climate activist. Um, I like to connect the both of them. Um, I would say that, you know, the climate crisis is a social crisis as well. And from coming from someone who's been studying geography for so many years throughout school and at uni, It's something that I know isn't talked about at all, actually. So I'm just trying to, you know, I do a lot of work on my Instagram and I have a blog as well and my own podcast, The Blackout Show. So I know. Um, A lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it sounds, I mean, you've been really busy. So can you give us a little bit of background on kind of what brought you to to becoming this voice? Um, I mean, it's... It's so necessary right now, but kind of what were the what were the steps that made you feel like, you know what, I need to step up and talk about this? If I'm gonna be honest, it really just came a place uh, from like enough is enough. I couldn't stay silent anymore. Um the protests over in Belfast, I think they started at the, the beginning of June, I wanna say it was, and you know, I think it was like a global outrage of everything that had happened to George Floyd, and I think that had opened a lot of people's eyes. Obviously, being a black woman, I've had my own personal struggles and it sort of irritated me a wee bit that whenever everything with George Floyd was happening, that people over here in Northern Ireland, they were saying, we have to stand in solidarity in America. The racism in in America is awful. And I was like, hold on, the racism here is just as bad. I know you're not seeing, you're not seeing it because you're not directly affected by it. And there isn't a huge black community in Northern Ireland Um, And that's no one's fault. But racism does happen. So it really just came from a place of having to deal with ignorance from my friends and even family members saying that it's not an issue here. I've never, because I'm mixed as well. So my mum, she's white and I have that side of the family. Then my dad, he's Zimbabwean. Um, But having to deal with people like relatives and close friends saying that I've never had to experience racism and it's not a huge issue. It was very frustrating for me because, you know, I had someone tell me that, oh, I don't see you as black. I don't see you as black. And I'm like, you have to, you have to acknowledge my experience. It's, it's, it's something to laugh about, but it's also something where it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. So built up frustration and built up anger. And obviously I have passion to fight for racial you know, equality as well. So that's just whenever I just, you know, started to post stuff on my Instagram. And at the time I only had maybe about 500 followers just made up of like friends and mutuals. And it was like, yeah, it was was in a very like short space of time where I sort of built up the following that I have. But um, at the time it was really just close friends, mutuals, and it really was a space of 99% white. So it was very, Mm -hmm. it took a lot for me to put that out there to say, no, you all need to listen up and you all need to learn and do something about the situation. Yeah, that's that's what started everything, basically. Um, I mean, that's fantastic. We we need voices like yours to educate people. I mean, and the fact that 
you know, so these were just posts that you were just, they weren't thought that you weren't expecting them to reach a wider audience. And it just kind of resonated with people. So which post was it that really kind of spread your message a bit further? I think the first one would have been, I think it was titled What We Didn't Learn in School. And it was Institutionalized Racism. Um, basically that started because the first post that I did was, it was just a boring, I wrote notes down on my iPhone, took a screenshot of it, did a nice colourful background <laughs> and posted about like six of them or whatever all in the one post. Um, I know that reached quite a lot of people in terms of mutuals and other people in Northern Ireland, but nothing past that. So maybe I built up a following to maybe over a thousand or a couple of thousand, maybe just from like close you know, just within Northern Ireland, within Belfast. Yeah. But I think what really made me go across the waters <laughs> was that post about institutionalised racism. And that came about from my sister. She made a post, um, Tatiana Aratura, my sister's name. Um, and she she's my older sister, actually. So she made a post all about institutionalised racism and how it's in the systems and how it affects us, how it's important that we teach ourselves um, these narratives and all these, you know, the forgotten histories that, mm. that our schools fail to teach us about, which has obviously contributed to the racism that we see in our society today. Um, and so I took her post and also from last year, my studies, I did, I think it was an anthropology module and we did quite a lot of stuff to do with like evolution and slave trade and things like that. And mm. um, I just added my own bits as well. It's just like easy, digestible information. And I did think to myself, if it looks good, people will be more inclined to read it than just a boring black and white post. So I just threw that out. And then I, d- I was so surprised. I kept going to like my family being like, look how many people said this and look at that. There were a whole lot of negative comments as well, of course. And there always is yeah. under something that's considered controversial. But yeah. I know I'm fighting the good fight. So I just sort of ignore that stuff. Yeah. And I think that, you know... <laughs> You, you have to try and be like, you know, why is there negativity? Because of this issue you're talking about in the post. Exactly. Like, come on, wake up, people. Like, we've, you know, it's there is time for this change. And I think that at the time of, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything that happened, I was thirsting for information in a way that was, like, you know, not like I'm an idiot, but, like, accessible and quick to digest and quick to go, right, okay, oh, shit, this has happened and this has happened that I didn't know about. So the fact that you're able to do that and make it, you know, it's 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 a, a difficult subject because people are faced with their own... Um, you know, thoughts and realities. It's uncomfortable. It's totally uncomfortable. But kind of being able to make people sit, think back and realise and go, oh shit, I've been brought up thinking this subconsciously and it's time to address those feelings and create some action around it. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful thing you're doing. Like, you know, hats off to you, babe. It's amazing. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about, so, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, like you say, you um, have predominantly white friends and, you know, how is that, how was that for you, you know, being a, being mixed race woman? It was, you know what, it was difficult. Um, it wasn't really, I wouldn't have identified it as being difficult until maybe I was about 16 and obviously upwards till now. But when I think back, it was always that, why am I different? I don't want to be different. 
Um, there's negative things like my whenever people ask me what was my first experience of racism or realizing that I was different I always I can never it is this one experience which I'm going to tell you about but anytime anyone's asked me this I've never been able to remember it but it's such a huge part of my life basically my sister and I I think we were about six and seven and we were at our local playground and there were a group of just, you know, we don't, I never thought of it. It's just, it was just a group of white girls playing together, just friends. And my sister and I were like, can we play a fuse? And they were like, we don't play with black people. Yeah. And my sister and I, I just remember us both being like looking at each other and we were both like, why? I can actually physically remember the confusion. We were just walking back to the house, just so confused not so much like obviously being six and seven in our heads, we weren't thinking, oh, how racist or that was awful. We were just genuinely confused and we got upset as well. We actually did yeah. think there was something wrong with us. Like there's something wrong with black people that makes people not want to be involved with us. Why were we rejected? What is it about us? And yes, of course, we told my mum and she knew the girl who said that she knew her mum. And there were apologies that were exchanged and things like that. But that was traumatizing. I think that that is trauma. And that heavily impacted the way we navigate the rest of our years, heavily um, influenced how we navigated our way through Northern Irish society. And obviously the fact that we went to, um, whenever we were in primary school and we, obviously our classes were majority all white actually not even just like majority it was all white we were the only black people in it and just even looking at my friends with you know their straight hair and their features as well being told that I have a boxer's nose and that like I duck lips you're so beautiful uh, thank you <laughs> but I didn't see obviously I didn't see that and even if, if I'm gonna be completely honest then you get into secondary school and then there's the whole like why do boys want to, you know, girls with the long straight hair? Why don't they like me? And things like that. Obviously, mm. I think I'm great now. <laughs> but no, but the thing is, is that I think that that's a common thing. We all want to conform. And you all want to kind of, you know, in those formative years, anything that makes you different, you're like, oh, shit, like, let's just cover that up because yes. we want to be like this cookie cutter, like, specific. And something that, you know, that over many things you have no control over. It's like, well... You know, it was just I love hitting everything say, about yourself. Oh God, it breaks my heart, man. It breaks my heart. My little niece, I always try and say to her, the things that make you different make you the most beautiful. And it's not until you get a bit older that you realise that's true. Completely. Yeah. Like not but back then, honestly, I used to say all the time, I just want to be normal. I I honestly thought like I hated my skin, my cultural features, my hair, even like the culture I actually remember saying to my mom because my dad would be a proud Zimbabwean mm. so you'd have like traditional food and things like that I remember saying in the car when I was probably about 12 I hate culture I wish ev- I wish everything was the same I hate culture and I feel my mom said to me at the time you don't realize how stupid you sound saying that and I get it but if you could think back to the little 12 year old me yeah. just wanted to be normal like but now, obviously, I'm proud Zimbabwean. I embrace my culture. I love everything about my cultural features, my skin and everything. And I have a little sister as well. who I try to be a good, a positive role model for her. And I hopefully think I've achieved that because I think she loves herself 10 times more than I even love myself now. And for a 10-year-old, that's very, that's great. But it's important, like you say, but if you are growing up different or, you know, uh 
African in a predominantly white area, who are your role models? You know, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's incredible that you can be that for your um, for your little little sister and her little mates. I know. Hopefully, other people as well. So, talk to me about the blackout show. So, the blackout show, I guess, was um, it's the continuation of the work you're doing on Instagram, right? Completely, yeah. Well, basically, um, so the co-host, um, I work with Precious John and Maria Bryan, and it was actually Precious, he's a DJ. And they, we actually, ha- I hadn't talked to them prior to this, and they were both friends, and they had actually approached me about starting up. I always wanted to, yeah. but I was always, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, I still am quite a shy person. <laughs> so like the idea of me just like sitting down myself and like recording myself speaking was something for, still very daunting to me. Yeah. But I was like, you know, if there's two other people, this is going to be great. We could all do this together. And so we handle some music side of things. And we also try to keep it fun as well. We don't want it to always be like serious, like racism talk all the time. Obviously, we still have very important conversations and we all had very different upbringings as well. So the fact that we can, I just want our narratives to be heard because I always say to people, you can't get everything you need from me, especially because I also acknowledge how I grew up privileged, you know, the opportunities that I've had, the fact that education wasn't something that was very far off from me. I was always able to get a good education and I always thought to myself that university was achievable and I'll get a good job and things like that. So I recognize my own privilege and just the fact that you're not going to get everything you need from me and I shouldn't be the only voice that you're listening to. So the fact that it can be the three of us and then also bringing guests in as well, it's just, I just hope, I hope people tune in and listen to that because we do have some really great, insightful conversations yeah fantastic and now you've got the platform for it to reach people and i think that's another really powerful thing you're not going to get you're not going to get every everything they need from following one activist you need to have lots of different opinions and lots of different backgrounds yeah. and stuff so amazing how many episodes have you done so far you're gonna laugh but we've only done four <laughs> no well, i th- no, we, we were hoping to have a lot more done by now but see has really disrupted everything because it's like we're going to record this week but then lockdown so how do we do it remotely and then because we're used to meeting up to go into a studio to doing it and then from going to a studio to then going to someone's house to do it and then because we all live quite far away from each other so it's a lot of like picking up and driving about <laughs> yeah <laughs> because of the lockdown it's like okay we have to figure out how to do this remotely but yeah. it's, it's kind of just disrupted everything but the four very good episodes we don't, we don't like putting out rubbish. So we actually have recorded before and been like, this episode is not good enough, so we're going to scrap it. Yeah. So wow, that's we good. Like to put out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm like a perfectionist almost, so I say, you know, if it's not good enough, if we're talking about rubbish, we're not going to put it out. <laughs> we're going to read it. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's, it's been an exciting and long journey. And the first four are always, I mean, I mean, we've been doing podcasts with Astrid and me. I mean, this is probably a the 30th fish episode and comparing now to back then to, I mean at the beginning I'd be like really nervous and chat I mean obviously it's very different I'm now sat on my phone and be like <laughs> but like I know that and you find your groove and you get a rhythm and you work out okay we need to be talking about this and you kind of also learn when to pull back a bit I think as well because yeah. I'm a waffler I'm yeah, me too. <laughs> I can get really carried away for myself. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, I'm like, right, okay, we've got some good stuff. Let's keep the flow going. But I'm excited to listen to them. I haven't had a chance yet, but I will be listening because I sit. Thank now. you. 
I'll have a little listen for sure. We do try to keep some structure because because Precious is a DJ, he's quite good at saying we do need to have this and then we move on to this and see if one of us is if we're talking the, the other two will give them a look we'll give each other a look like it's time to wrap this up <laughs> yeah. um, be quiet now yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see where it will go yeah like it, as you said if the you know as we get maybe a few months time we'll look back at the first few episodes and be like wow the growth is really great and we're in a new space now and, things like that. But, and where can people listen to it if they want to ch- tune in well, we're currently on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, right. so they're the two best places to have a listen. Very easily accessible. That's another good thing you've got yeah, to do. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously, Black Lives Matter. What do you think the future is, and what's going to happen next? I mean, no one, no one can predict it, but what kind of do you feel will be the next steps? It's very hard to say. Um, I would definitely say my answer, my answer to this question a few months ago, would be a lot different. Well, when the first protest first started and, you know, newspapers were wanting to talk to me and, you know, TV, they were wanting to talk to me and radio interviews. I was thinking, wow, this is great. They really want to learn more. But now I think back to it and how quiet it has been since then. I think it was very much performative, which is very sad. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, everyone's talking about it at the moment. Let's, let's hop on the bandwagon and, you know, cover a few stories. That's it. Wipe our hands. We've done our part. Let's move on to the next thing. And unfortunately, that is, you know, you can't control the news. You can't control what people are putting out there. And that's why I think it's very important that I stick to what I'm doing on my platform. Because I know it's going to reach, even if it's not a lot of people, it's going to be some people that are going to be seeing the information that I'm putting out there. And I'm not going to stop. Um. But yeah, I think we have a long way to go. We don't even know if we would see a world of racial equality. Actually, I know we won't see a world of racial equality in my lifetime. I do think it's something that's going to take a lot of hard work um, because it's so deeply embedded into the systems. And it has been that way for hundreds of years. And you can't dismantle that overnight. One of the things that I place an importance on is educating other people. And I, I strongly believe that that starts in the schools. And when I think back to whenever I was in school, I never had any conversations about one activism. I didn't, activism was something that I, I had learned through maybe online or maybe on the news, but it was something that was never taught to me in school. Nothing to do with anti-racism whatsoever. I'd never heard any teacher utter the words of a microaggression yeah, yeah. in my life. Um, and that, that breeds ignorance. And as well in your most formative years, if, if children are thinking, oh, well, no one's challenging my actions. No one's telling me that these thoughts that I have and um, these biases that I have, that they're wrong, they're going to think that that's okay. So and people also ask me, well, how young should we start teaching kids about anti-racism and challenging these systems? Well, it's from as young as we start experiencing it. And as I said, you know, my earliest experience of racism when I was, whenever I was about six or seven. And even if we want to go um, further back than that, I actually asked my mum, when was, like, if I don't remember it, when was the first time that I had actually experienced racism? And my mum said it was, um, I think we were just walking along, like, Lisbon Road, somewhere not very, like, not too far away from me. Um, and my dad and I, and I think I was maybe about two, we were just walking along and just someone just shouted the N-word, or just called us the end, we're just from across the street. And obviously my dad would be, have like that would be, impact him a lot more than it would have me. But he's had his wow. share of racism, trust me, a lot worse. But even you would still have people now saying, 
get go back to your own country, things like that, or get in your boat and go back to Africa. And it's like, well, I never came from Africa, first of all. <laughs> I was born here. <laughs> yeah, it, but I think the first issue is that no, people don't and think it's that point, this And it's, again, happens. point of privilege. If it's not like, you know, we all have to... So we all have you, to stand together and be like, this isn't okay. And like, you know, it's it's, wrong. it's so broad and it's so wide, but it's like the thought of someone shouting something at literally a baby across the road, like being like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I just, and like, but I also feel in myself, like, I didn't realise the depth of it. I didn't. I didn't realise it. And it's like every day you're dealing with this bullshit. Like, fuck, you must be so sick and tired and fucking angry. Yeah, so tired. <laughs> Even in work environments as well. Because it was like, it was just like, started out just in school and maybe, you know, really just like in school. And then whenever I turned 16 and I started working, you see a whole different yeah. side to the public. Do you know what I mean? Seeing seeing customers I've always worked in customer basically customer service I worked in cafes and then I work in retail now I've always been dealing with the public and seeing how people treat my co-worker I've always ever been still the only black person in my workplace so seeing how customers treat my white co-workers compared to me and then having customers I ask them if they need any help and the look they give me and the way they you know the way they handle me is just very and, you know, as a black woman myself, I, I know I have to hold myself to higher standards as well than my white co-workers because I know if I even step, like, a little bit over the line, that's me done. And even I've had customers no. false complaints about me. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that has to do with race, but I used to be so... Um, I used to never really jump to, oh, well are they treating me this way because I'm black? But see now with the amount of people that have came out to be racist in this country, I have no doubt in my mind that whenever people treat me differently and with a certain attitude and a certain way, I know fine rightly it's because of the colour of my skin. But um, yeah, the, the false complaint thing was pretty recent and it really threw me off. I was very angry about that. And the, the way the company handled it as well, I wasn't happy with that either. Because I think it's also important that we discuss things like race within the workplace. Because no, it's like, I understand that I have to be held to higher standards and I understand how customers can treat me differently. But you also need to understand that as well. And trying to have them uncomfortable conversations with my coworkers <laughs> is very difficult, but I know it's necessary. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have to have these conversations. It should be, yeah. But I don't think, I think companies need to take accountability as well. If, if this is what I mean when I say it's it very long. So <laughs> it's going to be a very long It's fight. mad. It's really, really mad. Yeah. And like, it's ignorance. Ultimately, it comes down to pure ignorance. People have these horrendous ideas. They haven't been taught anything like you say from school. And it's just like, wake up. But that's again, you are so, the way you educate is so non-aggressive you know and because it is difficult to take on as a white person from that point of privilege to be like oh shit I need to I need to check myself you know I think that what you're doing is you've got such a gift of being like you know what try looking at it this way and maybe you should have thought about it like this like (laughs) you know I'm just excited to see what what changes you're going to make like what more changes are going to happen and how we can start putting structures into schools. Now we can start putting in like, you know, mandatory things. Like, you know, we've managed to make some good steps with sexism. 
like, you know, you can't be like slapping everyone's ass anymore or like getting away with all the shit they used to get away with 30 yeah. years ago. <laughs> so let's try and do the same thing. Like these steps just need to happen. Like, we all just need to be treated as humans. So yeah. for someone who is yeah. still learning, as myself, um, talk to me a bit about climate justice because those two words together are new to me. Well, basically, just as I said, I'm pretty, I would say I'm pretty new to this as well. And by new, I don't mean like obviously a few weeks. I mean, obviously I've been learning about this for a good few years. But whenever we talk about learning and unlearning in terms of racism, we also have to do that with the climate crisis as well. Because even, I'm going to be honest, in school, we did learn about, you know, the climate crisis and how that's impacting the planet and rising sea levels and everything. But we also weren't talking about, we didn't learn about how this was really impacting the people. And I think one of the most important things to understand is that climate justice requires racial justice. You know, the, whenever we talk about things like the distribution of wealth as well, like I'm trying to put this in the better words because I hate no, it's a huge subject. Like, you know, we're talking about some big stuff. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are so many different things. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many different parts to it, but the part that I like to focus on is how this is negatively impacting, you know, communities of, you know, Black, Indigenous people of colour. And the fact is, is that the, the climate, climate change is disproportionately mm. impacting Black people. No. And we're not taught about that in schools. And even at university level, I'm not taught about that at university level. So it is really about teaching myself how because I know I'm privileged you know I have a roof over my head I have food on my plate and things you know I just drive a car things like that I know I'm privileged so it's also about me um learning myself you know teaching myself about all these different things but you know it's just it's just I it's again just need to, needing to bring this into the skills and teaching kids about it and making sure that this topic is not just discussed in terms of, you know, we talk about plastic bottles and things like that, which obviously, you know, plastic pollution is such a huge issue, but it's also we need to extend the topic as well and how the global north does heavily impact the, the, the climate change, you know. So the ones that are worse affected by it aren't the ones that are contributing to it. And that is racism. And people do, even when we talk about the overpopulation crisis, you know, there, there, for me, there's no such thing as a human carrying capacity. I educated myself on it and we're thrown about this narrative in school about how overpopulation, you know, is such a huge issue for, you know, the climate. And then we were taught about like the flavelas, you know, in Brazil and, you know, overpopulation in India. And it's these countries that are getting the blame when really it's the fossil fuel industry make up 70% of all carbon emissions. So all these things about shifting the blame onto the people they really have no control over the way the world is going. Yeah. That is racism. And it's all about dismantling that and really challenging these companies. And then I know I like to place a huge important, importance on, you know, our own carbon footprints. So there's ways I've tried to cut mine down and I try to encourage people to do that as well. But at the end of the day, my individual change isn't going isn't gonna to end the climate crisis. Because again, I'll going back to it, it's the fossil fuel companies that make up 70% of the carbon emissions, which is destroying the planet. So we all need to be actively challenging these companies. Holding our government to accountability is something I very, I strongly advise people to do. Is write to their local MPs. 
Yeah, right into your local MPs, MLAs, asking them, what are you doing for the climate crisis? Are you acknowledging how this is disproportionately impacting people of colour and things like that? And get, getting a, it, you also need to watch out for the response that you get as well and just keep challenging them on this and, again, bringing it, bringing it to the schools. I'm trying to do my bit. And I'm doing the whole no new clothes for a year yes. challenge as well. So Tell me like about that. this. Yeah. No new clothes for a year. I mean, I suppose it's a good year to do it out yeah. of ever when we can't go out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so talk to me a bit more about but that. I like to be completely transparent and honest whenever I talk about things like fast fashion. Um, I used to be, I used to, like, see consumer culture, that was me. <laughs> um, a few years ago, like, I was always buying new clothes. Didn't think about the impact. Like, when we talk about purchasing power, I didn't really think about that. I didn't care. Or when I heard about fast fashion, I would maybe see, like, a little bit on it and just kind of ignore it and plead ignorance. And I just want to be fully honest because I want people to understand that you don't need to be this fully educated you know, you don't need to read all the books or listen to all of the podcasts or all this yeah. stuff to actually care about the planet. People think it's this really far off thing that I'm never going to be able to make any change because I've been doing A, B, C and D. I mean, I used to ask my mum, I used to never drink tap water. This is years ago now, so <laughs> we're not going to hold me. I used to never drink tap water and I used to ask my mum to buy me like plastic bottles and I literally would have like cases of just plastic bottles yeah. in the house for me to drink and it's so bad and like I don't know but yeah the whole new clothes for a year challenge I ed- obviously educated myself on fast fashion and the impact that, that was having on both the people and the planet because you know when I, I used to shop in like Topshop or Urban Outfitters and everything and even like order off Pretty Little Thing and Zara and I actually didn't realize the huge impact that was having on the planet. So you have carbon emissions, you know, majority of them clothes are sent to landfill mm. as well, which is awful. And the, the unfair wages for the workers and the terrible working conditions, you know, they have no basic human rights. And I, I, I'm the end of that, of that cycle. I'm, I'm the consumer. I don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes. So whenever I educated myself on that, I realized that I couldn't plead ignorance. Any- I didn't yeah. want to plead ignorance anymore. I wanted to do something about that. So I've the part of me doing is the educating yeah. people on it, hoping people will take the same steps. Because I know just me doing the no new clothes for a year challenge isn't just isn't gonna mm. stop everything. Actively challenge these companies, hold them accountable, ask them what are you paying your workers. You know, what are your carbon emissions? Things like that. And talk to, talk to your friends, talk to your family about them. I've tried to get people to go on the same journey as me with the no new clothes for a year. And I, it's, it's actually been it's really well so far. <laughs> um, I, was, I was always like used to spending money on clothes, but now it's obviously just like, it's not, I don't want to because I know yes. how bad it is. But everyone always asks me, what are you going to do when it's over? Are you going to go back no. to fast fashion? Obviously not. You know, Obviously, I'm not. Obviously, I'm gonna. If I, I'm not gonna buy something unless I need it, as well. And only if I do need something secondhand is obviously the best option. And if I can't find something secondhand, then the best thing that you can do is go for the most sustainable, you know, clothing, clothing line, clothing label, things like that. But 
I haven't, obviously I haven't been buying anything, so I couldn't even <laughs> recommend any sustainable I mean, it, brands. it's very but... much like, it's like you take, it's the matrix, like you take the red pill and you're going to realise that actually how, how everything's a little bit tainted by some badness. So it's like, I remember seeing the um, Stacey Dooley yeah. documentary, was it Stacey Dooley? Talking about fast fashion and how it was impacting the water and the people who worked there and just how bad it was. I remember watching it and being like, oh, I can't buy cheap clothes anymore. <laughs> like, from a really selfish perspective, I'm like, all right, okay, well, you know, going to have to address this, aren't I? But again, I don't regret it at all. And my clothes consumption from that, I mean, I haven't, I haven't committed to, to a year without buying clothes yet. <laughs> but maybe I will. <laughs> maybe I will. Um, but yeah, it is something that, that is so, and it's true, secondhand. Secondhand, you get individual staff, you get stuff that, you know, not only from a human perspective, but from carbon emissions, it's giving something a new life. It's going to, would have otherwise ended up in a landfill. The money goes to charity. If you're going to get it from a charity shop, like everything about it is like good feels. Like what is wrong with, you know, I love a little rummage from a Chazza. That's like a fun Saturday afternoon for me. If we're allowed to, you know. My sister is really good for like deep pop shopping as well. And like the most of the stuff that she finds is nearly brand new or sometimes she just finds like actual brand new stuff and I think some people don't realize see with online returns majority of that stuff gets sent to landfill it's cheaper <sighs> for them to send it to landfill than it is for them to make sure the quality is good and you know repackage it and everything no. yeah. majority of online returns are sent to landfill. yeah so stuff like depop I know there is is obviously concerns if people still sell and like yeah. little thing and things like that but honestly that is so much better than if you were to send it back to the company so I know some people do this I used to do it as well like oh I'll just order all these different things and then see which ones I like and then I I'll did send not the know back. that my no. god that's terrifying mm-hmm. um well I know, we it's are, really we are scary nearing the end of our podcast so <laughs> I'd love to know the three things that have brought you to where you are today well, learning is one of the, that's, if I'm going to say education, educating myself on all the horrible, like whenever you fully educate yourself, I'm not fully educated, by the way. I also like to say I'm not a scientist as well. When I talk about the climate crisis, it's just a disclaimer for people. When you educate yourself on all these different systems and everything like that, you get very frustrated with the world. And there has been like a few times when I've actually beat like not well you know what I mean you know when you beat yourself up about something you just like feel like I've contributed to this like you, you let yourself get you down and it's just about the way the world is and everything that was my pivotal moment whenever I was just thinking I need to stop doing things that contribute to negatively impacting the people on the planet so that was whenever a real shift happened just through educating myself um it was mostly through um a lot of like documentaries as well that I would have watched and YouTube videos and even people that I follow on Instagram there's um someone I've thought I've been following on Instagram for quite a long time Michaela Loach she is actually was like an inspiration for what I'm doing today because I followed her for a good few years and she was someone that like always didn't care about you know what people were saying to her and always decided to fight for things that were important so I sort of like looked to her whenever I I, it's, we also have had a very similar upbringing and experiences as well in terms of like, you know, racism and all our experiences. So, you know, things like that is really shit, like sort of helped shape me to what I'm doing today. And 
something as well was whenever my little sister started to talk about, you know, straightening her hair and like not liking her skin colour and wanting to be normal, whenever, this is a few years ago now, that was whenever I decided I need to start practising what I'm preaching to her. I can't keep telling her that she's beautiful if I don't feel beautiful myself. So that's whenever I started to, I used to relax my hair for so many years. And this was just a, a, a personal journey for me. And I started to stop relaxing my hair and grow out my afro and start embracing my culture and loving who I, like, you know, loving who I was. So that was a huge moment for me as well. And my would do anything for my little sister. She is my inspiration for everything I'm doing today. So there's two. And then... I think it was just a moment of waking That's up a and being moment. like, enough's enough. And I think like, this is the beginning of hopefully a big shift, but also we need people that are going to keep the momentum, you know? I think that something, again, we were going to talk about is how people kind of, like you say, it was the token, oh, yeah, like we were like, we're on board, like, you know, bandwagoning, but actually we've got to keep this momentum going and it's like working out the best way to do that is to wake more people up. Is there any reading you'd recommend? Yeah, and are there any documentaries you'd recommend? I think in terms of reading, there is an amazing book, which you've probably heard of it, Why I'm No Longer mm-hmm. Talking to White People About Race. And it's an amazing book. And it basically goes through like the histories and you know what you can do to start dismantling your biases and things like that. And it's amazing. There's also a book wow. called Me and My White Supremacy, which is an amazing book to read. Yeah. And I also, if anyone is looking to educate themselves, one of the first things that I would say, one of the first steps, um, begin with slave narratives, because then you'll really be able to understand how the system has always worked against us. So obviously I'm going to go for the most obvious one, 12 Years a Slave. Um, but that if you haven't watched the movie, I haven't watched it in a very long time because it's quite traumatic. <laughs> um, but realize isn't this isn't a movie this isn't a story this happened and this is how this is how it's deeply embedded into the systems and so yeah beginning of slave narratives is the number one i know there's so many other ones out there but um that's that's yeah that's where you start basically fantastic (laughs) well thank you so much for talking to me today um I'm excited to see what's coming up. I'm going to check out the reading. I'm going to get on the documentaries and, yeah, let's all try and do our bit to like make a really positive change. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to After Hours by Ashley Demie. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. See you back here next week for a brand new episode.